Hi friends, Beth here. Today's podcast episode is a sensitive one. In it, we talk about new age practices, spiritual warfare, and the reality of Satan and evil in our lives. If you find yourself really struggling with something shared in this podcast, as always, we would encourage you to take your concerns or your questions to prayer, to God's word, or to the church. If you have questions about New Age practices, I would highly encourage you to read the church document, Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life, a Christian Reflection on the New Age, and maybe consult a trusted holy priest. Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Beth. How are you, friend? I'm lovely. (laughs) I'm so so glad. I'm so glad to be here with Father Charlie. Hello, Father. Hello. Good to see you both. Great to to see you. you. Thank you so much for coming, Father. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Jenna. Would you be willing to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Father Charlie Garayab. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Phoenix. I have been ordained 28 years. My last assignment was pastor of a very large parish here on the east side. But now I'm the parochial vicar at a small Hispanic community on the west side. It's good to be here with both of you. I'm very edified by what you're doing, the scope of your ministry and your attempt to encourage Catholic women and all believers. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for your your apostolate. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And I believe today our conversation really will be edifying and encouraging to the women in our community. We were hoping to talk with you about spiritual warfare. You have a lot of experience in that, so we're just here to learn from you today, Father. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if we could just start with, some fundamental truth, the reality of Satan and spiritual warfare. Right. Well, this is timely. A couple of weeks ago, the superior general of the Jesuits, Father Sosa, deliberately said recently that Satan does not exist. Satan is simply a symbol. And now there aren't a lot of people who will take him on, except for the fact that he was overwhelmed by a whole avalanche of active exorcists throughout the country and throughout Mm. the world who together reproached him and said, we beg to differ with you, Father. For you, it may be an intellectual exercise to say that Satan doesn't exist. He's only a symbol. We deal with Satan daily and in our ministries, and we see him. And we know without question that Satan is, as the church teaches, a real evil person, a being, a fallen angel, more powerful than human beings, whose goal and desire is to conquer and seduce all human souls away from God and into his service, which ultimately leads to their damnation. So I think he found that you can no longer say something so contrary to mainline Catholic dogma and everything will be okay. Why would that priest say that? Like, what is the point of saying that Satan is only an idea? Well, there was a time in the 80s, 90s, when psychology was becoming a very important dimension of priestly ministry. Many priests who were trying sincerely to help their flock were relying primarily 
on the parameters and the paradigms of psychology in order to explain bizarre behavior, irrational behavior. The thing is that priests are not psychologists. We're trained to be defenders of the faith, promoters of the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That's our stock and trade, not psychological ideas. Why would that have been so attractive? Is because sometimes Satan masquerades or disguises his intervention in people's life as a psychological problem. So sometimes spiritual warfare can look like a psychological problem. And sometimes psychological problems can look like spiritual warfare. So mm. it takes great care and cooperation between both of the disciplines of priestly ministry and psychological sciences to distinguish what is going on in that person's life. Many priests who found themselves leaning towards psychology as a main tool to deal with people were doing so based on some partial truth, but they had lost sight of the larger picture, which I repeat, what we're expert in is that we, in the name of Jesus Christ, can command Satan to be gone. Since 2005, Pope Benedict Emeritus asked every bishop to select one or two priests from their diocese and name them and train them to be exorcists. Mm -hmm. And since that time, there has been really an explosion of the number of exorcists appointed. Satan is a real being. He uses a variety of methods. His main menu, if you might say, starts and begins with sin, always. Sin is his number one tool. Most of the time, he doesn't have to go beyond that. He uses Mm. temptation to sin to draw people away from God. His offerings, you might say his bait, is always the same, has been the same, and will always be the same. He's very uncreative, actually. Mm -hmm. He's very uninnovative. But he seduces people through wealth, pleasure, power, and fame. Those are the four elements that he uses in order to draw people away from God, to center them into themselves, and to justify behavior that goes contrary to God's word. He also affects people through psychological or physical obsession. He also affects people through oppression. And finally, and at the extreme end, he will take over someone's body and possess that body, which requires an exorcism in order to release the person. Sin obviously can be dealt with in the confessional. And so most people their interaction with the work of Satan can be and is dealt with through the sacrament of confession. You could say it's a form of deliverance, but others do require some more prayer and some more definite ministry to someone who's experiencing oppression or obsession. That may be more than you wanted to know, but that starts our conversation. Just wish I could take some notes right now. (laughs) Good thing this is recorded. I think that was a very helpful framework to have when we approach the topic You know, I had heard of oppression and possession, but I'm not familiar with obsession. And that's different or a step up from sin? A very simple example would be someone who finds themselves driven to commit suicide or harm someone else. That's all that they can think about. And they are obsessed with this idea, though, to commit this act of evil. But it also can occur, for example, a husband is unfaithful to his wife and begins an extramarital relationship with someone. It goes against the Sixth Commandment. It's adulterous. It's grave evil. But then begins to take on a life of its own where that man then just becomes so totally invested in this person, he's willing to just forego his wife, his family, his life. That would be another example of obsession. 
how Satan can use sin to then create this bondage through obsession. Is wow. sin always the inroad to greater bondage? It's not like the enemy is hiding out behind the bushes and then he grabs people. Is there like a <laughs> gradual progression always? I would say 98% of the time, people who find themselves engaged in spiritual warfare, it's because they have committed sins that have led them down this path, and now they've opened the door. Let's say, for example, someone begins to dabble in the occult. Horoscopes, astrology, Reiki, tarot cards, palm reading. And so now you've now opened the door to the occult. And that's a sin against the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, should not have false gods. But what you've done is you've opened the door for Satan now to have a hold in your life and to begin to now manipulate you through this opening that you've provided. If there is an example where someone who is innocent, who ends up finding themselves involved in spiritual warfare, that would be the case where parents are involved in demonic activity and then their children find themselves under spiritual attack and undergoing spiritual warfare, and some extreme cases really possessed, through no fault of their own. That can happen, but it's someone else's sin that did open that door. Father, I'm curious, how was your introduction into spiritual warfare? Did something happen in your life, or was this part of your conversion? All of the above. Before I entered the priesthood, I was very involved in a Catholic charismatic covenant community. And I lived in that community for 11 years. We were very involved in our spiritual lives. Part of the gift that God has given to the church through the charismatic renewal has been an understanding of spiritual warfare and a willingness to do spiritual warfare, to stand up in the name of Jesus Christ, confront Satan, cast him out in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this was a very common part of my experience in the charismatic renewal. It's also the case that I, too, was prayed with for deliverance. When I first came into the renewal, there was some baggage that I needed prayer for and to be released from. And thanks be to God, I've experienced it. And I've experienced it in my lay life with others and now in my ordained life and ministry with others. So a priest who is alert to that will find themselves listening carefully in the confessional and different times with people, what's going on and, and just what might be exacerbating or making issues worse in this person's life. So from what I understand, before an exorcism will be performed, the petitioner, the person who is seeking an exorcism, has to have a psychological evaluation by a trained psychologist, someone who understands the reality. What the exorcist then needs is a written evaluation saying that we can find no psychological basis for this person's issue. It's not wow. up to the psychologist to say this person is possessed, but simply to eliminate psychological problems as the basis for this person's problem. And once that evaluation has been given and granted, then the exorcist then would then take the next step. But not until, because again, people who are schizophrenic can often demonstrate characteristics that are typical of someone who is possessed and vice versa. If you take Scripture seriously as the inspired, divine, revealed Word of God, on its face value, Jesus healed sick people who were sick, and he cast out demons from those who were possessed, and he was very clear which one he was doing. That's very good, Father. Thank you. I'm glad that you said 
that Satan is concerned about every soul. He has an agenda to lead every person away from God's will in their life and ultimately away from heaven. I wonder if there are people that think of Satan as maybe he even exists, but he's not really interested in me living my little life at my job and serving my family. I guess that would fall more into the Satan as an idea, but he's not concerned with me. But you would say he is. He absolutely is. Now, most people, if you are a faithful Catholic and you go to confession regularly, you receive our Lord's body and blood worthily and frequently, you are faithful to your vocation and fulfilling your responsibilities, by and large, you're protected. You will at some times experience temptation. Satan could tempt you to, you know, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had it with children running around and taking up every one of my moments. And, you know, <laughs> I've never Sound said familiar? that, Father. Never. Wait, I didn't think so. This is just an offering. So there are moments when you are tempted. All of us are tempted. He knows our weak points. And he'll find those little openings, those porous points in our defenses. But if we are living the life in Christ, it's pretty simple to deal with, such as, get behind me, Satan. One of the things that he'll do for all of us is he will try to accuse us of sins that have been confessed. He will bring to mind, at odd moments, things that happened 15 or 20 years ago that you think, oh, that is so shameful. I am so sorry I did that. But wait a minute. That sin has been confessed. He's accusing you of sins that don't exist anymore Mm -hmm. because they have been absolved. They've been brought before the Lord through the sacrament of confession. Because he is what Scripture calls the accuser of the brethren who stands day and night accusing us before God. So he'll try at odd moments to discourage you, to accuse you of past sins, to tempt you, to abandon your responsibilities— you know, we need to be aware of how he works. We flick him off like a fly that's bothersome. We give him no more credit than he deserves. Yeah. And we continue on the path we're on. Be sober and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, as St. Peter says. So we are alert and we need to be conscious how he functions. But we don't need to be fearful, mm. anxious, worried, because if we're walking with Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ protects us. Can the devil hear our thoughts? That's a question open to debate. There are many exorcists and those who are experts in demonology that say that Satan cannot know our thoughts. I may be a bit of a renegade in this area. (laughs) I think he does. For the reasons I just mentioned, I told you that he will insert or recall to you your mind and your memory things that happened in the past. We even talk about in Scripture, warfare of the mind. So in my estimation, he can know your thoughts. He can insert himself. Now, maybe it's a one-way dialogue. Maybe he doesn't know everything that you're thinking, but he can insert himself into your thoughts. That is simply how he works. He does work through the mind. It's through our mind that he attempts us. A major theme that I am internalizing from this conversation is that confession is central. So is that really our first line of defense when we're sensing a lot of temptation or spiritual attack? Absolutely. Okay. Because if sin is how Satan grips us and seduces us, when we repent of sin, 
that sin is completely absolved. His stronghold is completely relinquished. 100% of the absolution necessary takes place in the confessional. But 90% of the deliverance from the bondage of sin also takes place in the confessional. There are some kinds of sins, though, that have such a grip on us that even though we confess them, they will continue to be an issue for us where we are experiencing a bondage to those sins. In our day, a big one is pornography, gambling, perverted sexual behavior, alcohol and drugs that also have a physical dimension. Because of their nature, that they become so quickly habitual that we need to have an additional ministry of deliverance to break that bondage so that we don't readily fall into that sin again. Well, that makes sense. How would you seek that out if you find that you are faithful to the sacrament and you are striving for holiness and a life of virtue, but there is habitual sin? Right. That's when it's good to talk to a priest. Take the example of pornography, which sadly is a very common issue today for a lot of people. The priest will try to offer some ways in which through the will that can be overcome, which would be accountability, putting filters on your computer, putting your computer out in the middle of the living room. But then the priest can also and should also pray for deliverance and casting out those evil spirits that are at work tempting that person. So it's a dual attack. In my past, I struggled with pornography and masturbation for years, decades. And I regularly confessed. I was in ministry. I was striving And only one time in almost 20 years of confessing, only one time did a priest ever even mention a spirit of masturbation or a spirit of lust or pornography. But he didn't pray for that. He didn't? No. Sometimes sometimes in the confessional after someone confesses these, I say, now I've given you absolution. I just stay where you are because I want to pray a short prayer of deliverance over you. Quietly, very undramatically, we'll pray that whatever spirit is at work, that it be broken, cast out in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And eventually there was a priest who prayed over me, but I hadn't told him anything. He put his hand over my eyes, and I was totally delivered. Praise be Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's he, incredible. He, he, cast, he cast out yeah. that, He that did. Spirit. Yes, he did. Do you think the devil tempts men and women differently? Yes. Yes, he does. Let's say if we go to the realm of sex, men are moved visually. And so they can be tempted by someone who's very voluptuous or who's dressed immodestly. For women, there could be... The temptation, I think, comes more a man who's now listening carefully to her in a way maybe her husband isn't doing, as taking a greater interest in her emotions. Satan will use those differences to tempt us differently. I think in the same vein, I'm thinking about mothers and how they can pray for and protect their children. I think that that's an excellent point. Parents have spiritual authority over their children. And parents need to, of course, watch what's coming into the house. Mm -hmm. What are they watching? What video games are they playing? What movies are they watching? What music are they listening to? Because all of those forces can be carriers of evil spirits. So parents definitely have to guard the gate. They have the authority to pray over their children, to bless them, and to protect them in the name of Jesus Christ, and to pray over them for deliverance, especially if they're struggling with issues. Small children will oftentimes find themselves waking up in the middle of the night frightful. For what reason? Well, there could be a spirit that's Mm -hmm. trying to disturb that child's peace. Mm -hmm. So parents will not only calm the child down, but also will pray against any spirit that may be present in that room trying to disturb that child. What about fathers? Are there any 
particular recommendations that you would have for fathers as the head of a household? That's really where the source of the authority lies. So the father really is the one I would recommend to be the one to mm-hmm. pray over that child. I don't think we as lay people know that we have authority like mm. that. I think a lot of times people feel helpless and think, rightly so, they want to go to a priest, they want to go to someone with authority that we see in the church. But can you speak to where that authority comes from, kind of the truth of that? Well, I believe it comes from the fourth commandment. God calls us to honor our parents because he's invested in parents the authority to form their children and to be the Heavenly Father's representative here on earth. I am dismayed when I see so many children who are involved with video games that are polluting their minds, and kids who are going to schools and being indoctrinated by ideologies that go completely contrary to what the parents believe, Mm. but the parents are not paying attention. What it is that their kids are being taught, what the teachers are telling them or having them read, etc. Parents have to be alert to these things because they're the first line of defense for their children. Disney has a show (laughs) and it's all about wizards and things that seem innocent on a cartoon or a TV show. So then kids will want to buy all the characters and want to buy the books. And, oh, this one has a spell book. How innocent are things like that at a young age? Not innocent at all. Those are the forms of the enemy, even though they're in in cute animation form. The occult is the occult. Mm. And if you open the door to the occult... Satan will come in. Thank you, Father. What's the most powerful or effective prayer protection we as lay people can pray? Get behind me, Satan. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. As soon as you mention the name of Jesus, Satan flees. But then every family should end their prayer night when you pray together with the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel. That prayer is a reduced form of a longer prayer that was written by Pope Leo XIII at the turn of the 20th century, after he had a vision that Satan would have a grip on the 20th century. And look at what happened, what the 20th century produced. And we're still reeling from that. So he wrote this prayer, and the popular version is a shorter, but nonetheless very effective prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And all the kids should be equipped with that prayer. I so appreciate how practical and reasonable all of these suggestions have been because I think it can feel very sensational to talk about spiritual warfare, the devil, and I think that scares people away or makes people dismiss it out of hand. But you're making it sound like a very normal part Mm -hmm. of the life of a Christian. The problem is when we think that we're exempt from it. Mm -hmm. But if you wish to be a true disciple of Jesus, you've signed up for warfare because Satan hates God and hates anyone whom God loves and anyone who loves God. So to think that I could be a Christian and not have to be on the alert for spiritual warfare is to not understand that you have crossed a dividing line by saying, I'm for Jesus. You not only become a daughter or a son of the Heavenly Father and a brother or sister to Jesus Christ, but now you also take on those enemies that are his enemies as well. I always want to just end this conversation by the words that beloved Pope John Paul II said when he first was consecrated, elevated to the papacy, and he spoke on the balcony. He said, do not be afraid. I think those words apply here. Do not be afraid. 
that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So don't be afraid of Satan. Don't go picking a fight with him, but don't be afraid of him because we are victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a fact. And so it's a matter of simply exercising that victory and being alert to know that you will be attacked at some point, especially when you least expect. Recognize it, cast them out, move on. That's a great way to end. <laughs> Thank you so much, Father. You're it's been more than such welcome. a blessing to have you. You're more than welcome. Yes. Would you close us in prayer, Father? Be happy to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have triumphed over the evil one. You have given us victory through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, O oh God, I ask especially, Lord, that you would bless all of the listeners with the grace to be able to do spiritual warfare, to find themselves clearly protected by you, understanding issues that are at stake, discerning well for themselves and their families, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would experience the victory you've won for us. I pray for this blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.